Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our popular segment where we meet founders all over the world from the world of sports tech and sporting professionals. My name is Ahmed Alhuli and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Ken Troop. Ken, welcome to the show, buddy. How's things? Oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for good. I'm in uh, Dallas, Texas today. Find me and uh, thanks for having me on. I know it's my absolute pleasure, mate. Um, Ken, you're the founder of KT Sports Marketing and you also are a university lecturer. Um, so you got your hands in, in a few worlds. Before we get there, let's talk about where it all began for you. Like, how did you get here? Yeah, well, you know, I was one of the few crazies in this. Maybe had the idea when I was 15 or 16 years old that if I couldn't play sports, um, I could work in sports. I really got that idea because I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, Peter Uberoff was the president of the, of the Olympic Committee, uh, LA uh, 1984 Olympics. And then he became based. After that, so I had known his name, and I was always been a big baseball first guy. Baseball commissioner kind of put on this this light or this you know idea in my head that I could work in sports, and um, wound up going to um, undergraduate at Texas A&M University. Um, Got my degree in sports management. At that point, there was probably about twenty or twenty-five programs in the states, Uh, and then I got my master's at Ohio University in sports administration. Um, a few years later, um, to further my uh, my learning and my growth, but uh, I spent 20 years on the team side of the business, coming up in the ticket sales uh, world. Um, worked mostly for the Texas Rangers here in Dallas for about 12 years, but I've made stops for the Atlanta Braves, New York Giants, the Phoenix. Um, I just did four years with a digital marketing, a digital media company called Forefront. Really, a believer in how digital media and digital marketing is changing the way that we sell tickets. I really wanted to give a get a better understanding of how it works. You know, kind of a peek behind the curtains. So, um, just left there about a year ago. And as you said, I teach a um, couple of uh, three classes at, at SMU, um, Southern Methodist University here in Dallas, sports revenue, sports um, management, kind of intro contemporary issues of sport. Then on my business, um, really my main bread and butter is okay, on social selling training, really giving um, really anybody that touches revenue at this point, I think should really have a really good, strong understanding of how to build their brand via LinkedIn and Twitter and their social channels. And that can lead to relationships that will build relationships that can lead to sales, right? When you're selling sports, Anybody's a potential client. So the larger your, your, your brand is, the more you, know, you have in your network, the more opportunity you're going to have to sell them something, you know, if the circumstances are right, right? So 
we, we put a tremendous effort here in the states. I've done it. We bring in traditional sales trainers to sell, you know, to train your sales staff how to sell, how to ask for the clothes, how to get past the gatekeeper, you know, all the different tactics of selling, right? But we're really not putting emphasis on social selling and really um, teaching them and giving them the, the tools to be successful there. So that's really what I focus on in my consulting business more than anything else. Awesome. Um, talk to me about your your past experience with larger sporting teams and what it's like to actually work with them. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of hours, right? I mean, I worked in baseball for 12 years where you go to work at, you know, 8 in the morning, 8 in the morning. If there's a game, you're going to work until 10 o'clock at night. So, but I will tell you probably 85, you know, 80% of my friends are not very, you know, they just kind of check the box from having the job. Right. I've never felt I've never felt like, oh, I got to go to work today. It's always just something I want to do. I'm passionate about. I want to work in sports forever. So I want to do is something for me. I came up the ticket sales business. So really learning how to put butts in seats. Right. And then transitioning into managing and leading sales departments and teaching the next generation how to. Right. I'm very bullish on the the live event experience and how it plays a part in building you into a lifelong fan, right? For me, if I, I want a fan that's a total fan that's going to games, watching games on TV, buying merchandise and you know, swag, and then you know participating in the game at some point, whether they're coaching their kids playing adult league flag football or basketball or something like that. So um, the live event to me is, is really crucially important to building a a long-term sports fan. So I'm happy that I have that foundation understanding how to put butts in seats as I said. Awesome. And working with larger teams, um, uh, is the process, does the process move a lot slower? You see there's a lot of uh, hindrance in moving towards change. What's the what's the what's the reaction like when you know when, you, when you're really trying to transform different processes? Uh, well, I think the old joke in, in, in is that you know sports is probably about five to ten years behind you know traditional brands, right? They're you know, adapting to technology and adapting to changing processes, right? And I definitely found that out firsthand the last four years at Forefront when I was selling digital marketing and doing digital strategy planning that a lot of <clears throat> marketers that have been doing it for a long time in the sports business are still kind of slow to understand how to adapt and how to add digital marketing or digital media or social media marketing to their to their, their to their tool chest. So um, you know I think it's it's constantly a struggle. It seems to be getting more and more um, you know loosened up a little bit. But in the sports business in particular it always seems like Everybody kind of just counts to three and waits for somebody else to go first, and then they dive in. Okay, and um, is that just thing of mentality, or there's barriers causing that? Or is it area? I'm sorry, was that question? Is that a, a is that a mentality issue, or is there barriers that are causing these these um, hindrances? 
You know, I, I think I think it's 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 more people are comfortable with what they know. I I you know this is the way I've done it. This has worked for me in the past. You know, especially if you depend on the team that you're at. If you're at a team where you know, you've got a loyal fan base, your fan your attendance is pretty constant. There's not a lot of room to grow and things like that. What's the benefit of adding some of these new tactics, right? But if you're at a you know, challenger brand, a challenger team that's down, you know, I'm always a believer that let's add everything. You know, let's try to let's try to do from a marketing standpoint. Let's add, you know, actual keywords for me. Let's do total home marketing where I'm simply add some good games in real time, doing flash sales off of you know timely events. My team's winning at halftime. Why shouldn't you get an ad for the next home game that says, hey, you're winning at halftime, here's a discount for the next price for the next game. So just you know just the overall adapting from a straight up marketing channel standpoint too, I, I think that one issue is that traditional, you know, television, radio and print. They're offering so much trade, you know, that's part of it, where I think that a lot of straight up, you know, marketing decision makers feel like they're getting value because they're getting trade. Saying X, I'm getting double that or whatever. So it's hard to pull out of that and take money out of traditional channel and spend it somewhere else because they feel like they're getting value out of that trade. That's probably one thing that hampers, you know, people jumping over, but mostly it's just I know what I know, you know, and it's worked. Why do I need to adapt at times? So I think you always have to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you see the space evolving moving forward? Just like straight up saying goals, like, like marketing space in sports or digital work or how it's going to. No, the, the digital impacting sports. Yeah, um, I mean, for, for me, I mean, the phone and the way that people purchase tickets, I'm like, let's talk about just ticketing, right? Like the way people buy tickets is changing, right? Nobody wants to talk to anybody anymore. Everybody just wants to get on their phone, buy their tickets, click the button, and you're done, right? Um, if you're not paying attention to your path to purchase, right, and how quick that is and how seamless that is, you know, there's a very large legacy, you know, ticketing company, you know, that um, their path to purchase is, is not that great. And I, and I promise you that you lose conversions. You lose people that are, they get an ad, they have the impulse to buy, they try to buy on their, on their handheld device. They can't because they have to reboot back in with their password or whatever the case may be. Um, and then they, well, I'll go home and I'll buy tickets and get home. And they get home and something suddenly comes up and they never buy the ticket. So I know that, you know, if you're not paying attention to path to purchase and making it really, really easy, you know, it better be like three clicks and under to buy tickets now. And if it's not, you know, um, you're going to lose conversions. I promise you the, the, the Apple that I really like for understanding how to do this and no fault to anybody else, but SeatGeek has a really good advantage, um, over as a platform over other, you know, ticketing platforms. Invented by a bunch of Silicon Valley, you know, engineers that just made a platform to sell tickets, right? They weren't sports guys trying to make a platform, so they, they made it easy and simple. And I think on average, you know, um, we can check with Jeff Ionella who runs for sales and marketing at SeatGeek. I think on average, like you can buy a ticket in like under forty seconds or so, you know, and it's quick and seamless. And if you're not at that, you know, one two. 
clicks and that's it, you're out. If you don't have um, the Wi-Fi or the connectivity in your building, I watched somebody at a game the other Saturday. She bought tickets on StubHub and she couldn't get them to download because she couldn't connect. She was standing out in front of the stadium. You know, so that's a bad user experience. You know, I think where this is going is everybody needs to put money into it. And they're getting all their connectivity, all their Wi-Fi in the building up. They're understanding how patch approaches really impacts their ability to sell tickets via mobile. Um, you know, and they need they need to catch up. If they're not catch up, they're, they're every day they're not catching up. They're behind. Interesting. So make it as easy as possible in terms of ticketing. So basically, ad adopt that concept all over the the sporting team or business, basically. Like that same mentality where everything is really easy and simple. Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I've always been a believer in it simple, stupid. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, people. People want things to be easy. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing is uh, sporting teams, the one thing they do with their digital content, it's always the same thing where you basically have, it's always your results, your, your teams, your uh, updates, injuries and whatnot. Do, do you see or find that it's it's constantly amongst so many teams that you're always getting the same sort of content, and it's not there's there's not much of a narrative, there's not much profiling, so on and so on, which is a lot uh, of engagement. Yeah, you know, I'll answer that question two different ways. I'll answer it from like in a social media standpoint, and but first I'll answer it from like a marketing standpoint. Like the great thing about digital and being able to reach anywhere they live online on their devices is I can really highly customize and tailor the message that I want to send to them. If I know you, uh, I look at the psychographic information and I know that you're more of a value-driven buyer, I'm going to give you an ad that pushes value. You know, if I know you're college-educated, married, drive a $100,000 car, you know, um, or professional, I'm going to give you more of a premium-type message or ad, right? And teams that aren't, aren't doing that kind of level of detail with their digital advertising, the digital marketing, they're missing both. Like I get, I, I see all the time the same ad over and over and over and over and over, and it's the same message every time. And you're missing that is old school. Put up a billboard, run a TV spot, have a radio ad mentality. It is not the new wave of digital where I can have multiple sets of A/B testing, all kinds. of some creative right down to the color, to the words, the call to action, things like that, making sure that I'm finding the ad that gets the most engagement, the most clicks, the most conversions, right? So that's from a digital marketing standpoint. And from a social media standpoint, I'm just still amazed at the, the, the teams that continue to use their social channels just to push content out. There's no engagement, right? There's very little. I used to say, and it still holds true in a lot of places, Especially on Twitter, teams use Twitter as a glorified fax machine. They just send out information. They're not engaging with you. Like, you know, hey, how about that? Um, how about that hit in the in the eight to take the lead? You know, throughout four to three. Much better. And they and they tag somebody on it, right? They they tag three or four people that are following them, right? You get a direct tweet from a from a team. 
that says, hey, thanks for watching the game. I'm so excited. It's eight to, you know, it's eight to five on the ninth or whatever. That's a lot better than just sending out a tweet. Hey, it's eight to five going to the ninth. You know, like that next level of, I know it's labor intensive and that's the problem, right? You don't want to, um, you know, set your social channel up where it's that um, engaging all the time and it's labor intensive. Plus, one of the things that I hear a lot is like, well, we don't really trust the person that's on that channel expanding them to, you know, be the voice, right? You, you trust that. I hear this a lot from salespeople, right? And I get pushback sometimes on how, why should they be on social channels and building the brand, right? I don't trust them necessarily. Look, you trust them with a book of business worth $8 million to renew, sell, and engage with clients and customers and fans on every other platform except social media. Why? Why is that the case? So that that's another interesting kind of element of the social, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's um, that makes a lot, a lot of sense, and probably a um, a good way to wrap up. Um, Ken, thank you very much. You've shared uh, great insight and information with us. Unfortunately, we have to wrap wrap things up due to time. Uh, before we let you go, where can we find you online? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at AT Sports Market. <coughs> uh, at AT Sport Market, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn anytime, <clears throat> or you can uh, check out my website at ktsportsmarketing.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Troop from KT Sports Marketing, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?